0: Welcome to Straight White American Jesus. My name is Brad Onishi, okay, I'm faculty ready. at the University of San Francisco. I'm here today with a guest co-host, somebody that most of you know, because Dan Miller is uh, on vacation. I don't know what's okay. with that guy. He thinks it's fine to just go with his <laughs> wife and celebrate their wedding anniversary and blah, blah, blah. So whatever. So I get to be here today with uh, Annika Brockschmidt. How are you, Annika?
1: Oh, I'm doing doing really great. And I'm back here, so I'm good.
0: Okay. <laughs> uh, well, we're always so thankful to have you. As uh, many of you know, Annika is a is a German reporter, journalist, somebody who's written a, an amazing book on the religious right and Christian nationalism in the United States, somebody with whom I've written articles and is just a great voice on all the things we cover. And as Dan always says, and as I, I always appreciate, you have a perspective from outside the United States, but sometimes is just really needed because uh, we're so stuck in the mire here that uh, we don't often see things that are right in front of our face so we're going to get in today to i think three pretty big stories one of them is the target boycott that's coming out of like right-wing spaces there was also briefly a chick-fil-a boycott i'm not sure how that is going yet or there are Christian <laughs> nationalists and people on the American right jonesing for Chick-fil-A and breaking the line and going to order chicken nuggets. Who knows? But we'll get into that. We're going to get into Christian dominionists who are trying to take over elections by way of spiritual warfare. And our old friend Lance mm-hmm. now is part of that. And so it's a kind of warning for 2024 about what will be ahead of us in terms of voting, elections and the, the rhetoric we're going to hear. And then we're going to talk about uh, what I would take to be a new land law uh, in in Florida, Alabama, and Texas that bars Chinese people from buying property there, along with with a few other groups. And uh, we'll just get into some of that history and why it's so dangerous. So, Annika, if all that sounds good, let's jump in. And, yeah, let's uh,
1: let's dive into the deep end. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Here we go. So many of you know by now that there has been this boycott of Target. Uh, you might have seen the tweets. You might have seen the Instagram posts. I don't know. So basically, there's been a widespread call by people in the American right and in Christian nationalist circles to boycott Target over their uh, pride merchandise. They have Target has, for Pride Month, been displaying uh, various products that celebrate pride. And those are shirts, those are flags, those are towels, those are uh, all kinds of things. Now, the stated reason, the stated reason for the boycott is that the idea that Target is sexualizing children by displaying products aimed at children. So the idea that you would have a a pride shirt uh, that fits a nine-year-old. Okay, this is sexualizing children. And so there have been these folks walking into Targets, tearing up displays, harassing employees, yelling at people. There's just been a lot of like really, you know, amazing displays of Target temper tantrums. Now, I want to talk about what's behind this and how this works. Have you been seeing this way over in Germany, Annika, and does it look as ridiculous to you as it does to me, or what how does it how does this look through your eyes?
1: uh, it is quite something. I will say it seems to have kind of become its own genre of right wingers making videos of themselves targeting companies who basically do corporate LGBTQ affirmations, which let's be real, they don't do out of the goodness of their own hearts, but for profit, but visibility is visibility. And uh, so it's always quite bizarre to me because of course this is performative. You see these people with their pre-prepared statements that they then harass employees with to try to get a gotcha moment. There's a great video. I think this was also of a Target employee, I think two months ago, who just very, very coolly handled somebody who I think accused her of selling Satanism or something. So this fits into the same vein, but yeah, it is it is quite something.
0: So there was the Bud Light boycott. Uh, they've turned their attention to Target now. And then, as I mentioned, Chick-fil-A has been the, the most recent one because of its DEI uh program. Somebody discovered Chick, Chick-fil-A has a DEI program. So, let's let's talk about what's behind this and I think for me I want to talk about three points. So, number 1, if we went back to like 2010 and or 2005, to me a lot of the discussion surrounding LGBTQ rights and representation centered on one uh, one side saying that this is a matter of identity, and in my view, rightly so. So you would have folks who would say, "Look, uh, to be a queer person, to be gay, bisexual, uh, to be a, somebody who feels as if uh, they're not at home in their own body, in the gender they've been assigned, and the and the way that they've been enculturated, and they want to be a trans person, so on and so forth. This is a matter of identity. So it's not a matter of choice. It's not a quote-unquote lifestyle. It is a matter of who one is." And therefore, it should be protected, such as when you are protected for being a black person or a woman or other uh, forms of identity in the workplace and in society and so on. Now, the other side would say, oh, no, 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 it's a choice. You choose to be gay. You choose to be bi. You choose to be non-binary, fill in the blank. And so therefore, you can stop that at any time. And we don't need to give you the rights that are protected under the law for race or for for sex, biological sex in this in this case. The the and you already mentioned this, Annika, to me the change is this. We're now seeing open, basically attacks on the LGBTQ community that are like, you're you're a groomer, you're a pedophile, and you're demonic. Like there the amount of social media posts I've seen that call folks who are not straight demonic and pedophiles, just straight up is, and that is a change in the discourse. Like if you go back to the Obama era, it was you're choosing to be gay and, and the rest of us saying, no, it's identity should be protected. That's not how it works. And those were the kind of grounds of the quote unquote culture war. To me, this is a change and it's a very dangerous. Don't get me wrong. That debate was tired before and it was, it was tiresome. This is more dangerous because it seems to, it, it literally demonizes people who are not straight. And it says, we don't want to share a society with you. We don't want to be in a space where you are. Um, so that, that go ahead, yeah
1: yeah, and it, it it basically it uses this this smear of of using the the myth of social contagion, essentially, to put people, because this all goes back to the old lie that uh being LGBTQ is somehow. Uh, the same as being a pedophile or is inherently uh, connected to being a pedophile to target children because in their minds you cannot be gay trans or queer in general but you have to be quote unquote indoctrinated into it so you have to be recruited into it so in their mind this you know sounds ludicrous because it is ludicrous to us but in their mind a kid could turn gay queer whatever if they were A pride shirt that their mum or dad bought them at Target. And I think what this really shows is sort of the, the violence of the normal. So, the violence of the norm. All of these right wingers talk about just let kids be kids, just let kids be normal. But what they mean by normal is basically enforcing this heterosexual cis norm because they can't fathom that some kids just are. Queer, just are gay, just are trans. So again, this goes back to the idea of the social contagion because, you know, in their mind, if you wear a tote bag uh, with a rainbow flag on it, that means you could turn, in, I'm speaking in big air quotes, you could turn your neighbor's kid gay. And that also makes LGBTQ people the target of what these people see as justified vigilante violence because who doesn't want to protect the kids, you know?
0: all of that i agree with completely and i think what you're pointing to here is an is an idea that uh is really important to point out the re- if you are labeling folks a social contagion then there is no appropriate place for them to be it's not a well just wait till the kids grow up what you're saying is is you've disrupted the social order and therefore we don't want you right in our society so there's been some great videos and some great kind of mockery that says look when kids are killed in a school, when we have rampant gun violence, none of this temper tantrums, none of these, none of these like storming into the public square and demanding things change. And why are you storming into Target? And my answer would be this: Here's the internal logic. If you if you don't understand that, it's this: To be, as you just articulated, Annika, to be trans, to be uh, non-binary, to be. In, in some cases, queer in any case, is to be outside of the accepted order. And therefore, you are to be either uh, erased, excised, whatever. Guns and gun violence are accepted as part of the order. And so there's a sense of kind of collateral. Damp- there's going to be error in the, in the system. There's going to be hiccups in the system, but the system has to keep working. Guns and gun violence in this country are part of the system. Yes, it's bad. We should try to tighten up our system. We should try to tighten up the cogs and the wheels and the belts and make sure it works better because we don't, want, we don't want that kind of aberration in the system, that misfire. The The queer person is not part of the accepted order or system. Therefore, it's not that we can tighten up the system. It's we need to go through a temper tantrum until this is not part of what we take to be our social space. And Target, as you all know, is a like a suburban mainstay. It's like the kind of place that people in Montana and Georgia and California and Maine all go to. It's a classic kind of middle-class suburban place. And I'm a dad of a young child. I go to Target way more than I would like, not because uh, I have any temper tantrum to throw just because I don't want to go there as much as I do to buy things like wipes and diapers and other stuff. So Okay, one more point here, Annika, and then I'll throw it to you. And that is that a lot of this boils down to what people talk about as a culture war. And I'm not sure that's a great term, and I don't always love it, but th- there's a great definition of culture war from Julia Moral Permiso, a a scholar who says that culture wars are about the symbolic importance in the public image of the nation. Okay. So a culture war is a symbolic battle. It's a battle over the symbols that represent the nation. What a lot of people are saying, unfortunately, and in many ways, tragically, is that Target, the suburban nationwide mainstay of a store, is displaying things designed for pride, to celebrate pride. And that is sending forth an image of the nation that is unacceptable. Christina Stokel and Dmitry Uslener talk about culture wars as the question of who we are. And to me, there's a fear for from from the American right that if a corporate mainstream like Bud Light or Target is is putting their capital, their money behind Pride and the LGBTQ plus community, not out of the goodness of their hearts, as you say, but out of simply the 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 idea that this is going to be most profitable, then they will have lost the culture war. they will have lost the question of who we are because the money will go one way. So what do you think? Final thoughts here on Target and these boycotts and all this business?
1: yeah I think that's a really I think those two definitions are really insightful because as you said, I also have problems with the term culture war, but I think it's t- to frame it into as to frame it as the question of who is allowed to be included in the usage of certain symbols, what symbols are connected to a national identity that is construed. Who is permitted to be visible in the public square? Who has the say of who gets to speak? All of those things, I think, are connected, and you really see that in the desolation, especially of the um, protests and uh, you know the vandalism against Target, because as you said, Target is it's the place where uh, if you follow any sort of suburban mumfluencer Instagram account. Target is the place where sort of suburban America goes to feel good, to have a stroll. And so if that space then is, quote unquote, invaded, as these people would see it, by the existence of people whose very existence seems in their mind to threaten the very worldview that they see as fundamental to their own identity, then that becomes what they perceive as an existential threat. And that then is reason for them to throw around uh, pride cups and make a tantrum and then post that on the internet to be also celebrated as a warrior against LGBTQ people.
0: One of the speaking, things that...
1: Speaking in big air quotes, I just want to add that. I just uh, remembered that we are on audio.
0: Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, no, no. All of that is yeah. you rehearsing mm-hmm. the, the voice of the... Uh... Yes, yes. The right-wing influencer. Now, a lot of people will say uh, this is an American phenomenon, but you have mm-hmm. a European perspective. And yeah. I-, I think that you're going to tell me that this kind of mm-hmm. rhetoric is is not isolated to this country.
1: Yeah. So, And this has been really worrying uh, for, I think, me and people in the LGBTQ community, but also for colleagues who are writing and researching the European right-wing. So, and first of all, I think it's important to say anti-LGBTQ, anti-queer hatred has a long history in Europe and especially in Germany. So there is no need to import anti-LGBTQ sentiment. That's There's plenty here already. But what I think is notable is that recently we have seen the specific playbook that we've now talked about used by the American right to target, and I know that Dan and you yourself have covered this extensively, uh, to target drag readings for kids. And anything that sort of even alludes to LGBTQ acceptance when it comes to kids or teenagers has come under attack by conservatives in Europe. And it does sound eerily familiar to what's happening in the U.S., um, albeit on a slightly smaller scale and without the sort of massive legislative backing and i'll just give you a couple of examples i collected some from german speaking countries in europe so this is not only this is this isn't just happening in the countries that i'm going to name now but this is a just a an example so in zürich for example switzerland a drag reading for children recently so this is the same as drag queen story hour basically same same kind of event had to be held under police protection due to threats that the organizers received also in Switzerland, in uh, a different part of the country, students had organized what was called a gender day on May 15th in their school. And the school received such massive threats after right-wingers had incited an online shitstorm, essentially, that the event was canceled in consultation with the police due to security concerns for the educators and the students Involves. This was not a new the- This wasn't a new thing. The gender day, quote unquote, had been held annually at this school for ten years until this year. Death threats against organizers, teachers, etc., had forced the school to withdraw. Right wingers, in this case, accused the school of pushing the quote unquote sexualization of school lessons, and right wing politicians joined this crusade. For example, SVP National Councilor Andreas Glaner demanded on Twitter that the school's management should be fired. Another drag reading for children in Zurich was also attacked by right-wingers this month. At the forefront of mobilizing these anti-LGBTQ protests against this drag reading was a conspiracy theorist with contacts into the German sovereign citizen scene. And no, this isn't just happening in Switzerland. Back in October 2022, a a neo-Nazi group—this is another Swiss example—lit smoke flares and chanted slogans on the way to the venue of Drag Story Time at an event for children at the Tanzhaus Zurich. They then stormed the event and began chanting radical right-wing slogans in front of the children. But we also hear this from conservatives in. Germany. So another example. You can hear similar tones these days from the ranks of the CSU. That is the abbreviation for the Christian Social Union. That's the sister party of former Chancellor Angela Merkel's CDU, which you can only elect in Bavaria. Don't ask why it makes no sense. CSU city councillor Hans Theis, who is also incidentally the LGBTQ spokesman for his faction, said this, a red line is crossed here when clearly sexualized topics are placed with in front of four-year-olds. CSU Secretary General Martin Huber agreed and said, quote, let children just be children. Four-year-olds should play with building blocks or other stuff and not be indoctrinated with woke early sexualizations. So again, here you you already see how not just the playbook is copied, the narrative, but even the vocabulary. I would imagine if you asked Martin Huber what he means by woke, he wouldn't be able to define it. But so you see how certain issues here are copied. And all of this, the quotes that I just read to you, were in response to a reading, a drag reading for children at the city library in Munich and uh, there was a lot of warnings from conservatives but also from sort of libertarian types that uh, this was age-inappropriate and that there would be sexualized clothing. You had Hubert Aiwanger, so these are not just like random names, Hubert Aiwanger is the Bavarian Minister of Economic Affairs and the sort of deputy, he's called a minister-president, which is sort of the deputy head of the state. He belongs to the Free Voters Party and he really went in hard. He came up with a classic uh, trope of anti-queer hatred and he said, this is child endangerment and a case for the Youth Welfare Office, not cosmopolitanism as the Greens trivialize it. So it's just, you know, an all around um, copying of the playbook of the right wing to play up and to incite a moral panic on already existing anti-queer and anti-LGBTQ tropes. We also see here the the use of drag and trance being used synonymously. This is also a thing that's similar in sort of anti-LGBTQ moral panics as we see them at the moment, that this is being conflated. Uh, but, you know, we, we also see in Europe... Uh, in some cases, that these harassment tactics seem to work. And this is the last thing, the last example I'm going to give, and then I'm going to throw it back back to you. Um, So this is not a specific example of a drag reading, but an example of how a prominent conservative politician in Germany harassed an institution for trying to be LGBTQ inclusive. So it's not quite at the level yet of bomb threats being called into hospitals to offer gender affirming care for teenagers but the methods are similar because a Catholic daycare had informed parents that they wouldn't be crafting for Mother's Day one due to staffing shortages but also in order to not exclude those children with families with a different makeup than father and mother by the way that doesn't even have to be LGBTQ inclusive it could also just be sensitive uh, sensitive towards children who don't have a mother, who live in single dad households, whose mother died. So it didn't even go into detail. But uh, Tilman Kuban, who is a a CDU representative, former head of the youth organization of the CDU, uh, posted the Daycare's letter, including its contact info in the letterhead onto Twitter and said, oh, this is this is insanity. You can't even celebrate Mother's Day anymore. And two days after Kuban Street, the party's official account of the CDU Hessen posted, quote, banning children in a daycare center to maintain Mother's Day gifts and other traditions, to not maintain Mother's Day gifts and other traditions because of the constellation of mother, father, child, and children no longer the norm in today's families is like a ban on thinking. And added, um, a share pick with the statement of the Hessian CDU Secretary General, Manfred Pence, now or we already see wokeness in Catholic daycares. And it worked. The uh, daycare was harassed. They had to disconnect their phones for a couple of days. And the daycare had to publish a public apology. So uh, what does that sound like to you?
0: Uh, they say that we don't make things anymore in this country. And uh, unfortunately, I think what we do make and export is this kind of rhetoric. And it definitely is bought and spread in other places. And all those examples really show us that this is not limited. And I, I think one thing, I think a takeaway from that is that you can take vulnerable communities and target them in 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 global uh context. You can do that in Germany. You can do that in the United States. You can do that in Switzerland. You can do that in Brazil. And it works. Okay? It works. It gets you support. It gets you momentum. It gets you dynamism. And so that is why the playbook is spreading. It's because it works. If you target vulnerable people, you will gain followers. You will gain traction. You will gain votes. And that's the sad part. One more example, and then we'll take a break. Uh, In Montana, a trans author had their book reading canceled Under the new drag law. So basically, there's a a drag law in Montana that says you can't do drag uh, in certain places. This person is trans. They were not doing drag. They are different things. And yet they were not allowed to do their book signing and book reading because of this new law. That was the stated purpose. So we see that. We see what's happening here. If you're a trans author, you don't get to do a signing at a library because of of a drag law. Anyway, so on and so forth. All right, let's take a break and come back and talk about voting and uh, elections and spiritual warfare, all just really delightful topics. All right, we'll be right back. All right, so we need to kind of turn to, I think, a, a specialized story, the kind of story that we we do here. I think there's there's always a temptation to just talk about these big headlines, but one of the things we try to do on the show is really dig into Christian nationalism and the religious right in ways that... Are really specific. And so, Annika, this week, there's been just a lot of new kind of reporting about plans by way of some of our old friends, Dominionists, such as Lance Wallnow. when it comes to spiritual warfare, when it comes to voting. There's a whole thing. So I'm going to throw it to you. What Hmm. is happening and how does this how does this look for 2024?
1: Yeah, so with 2024 uh, coming up and the religious right always playing the long game, as you and Dan uh, also always, uh, never you never get tired of of repeating that on this podcast because I think it's such an important point to keep in mind. It's never just about the next election cycle, and I think this story really shows that. And so you, Dan, and I, we, le- we like to keep an eye on Lance Wall now. Just in case for new listeners, uh, he if you don't know who Lance Warner is, congratulations. I'm happy for the personal choices that you have made, <laughs> but and yet you're listening to this podcast, so you're going to have to listen to this now. He is part of the New Apostolic Reformation. He's a dominionist, and he had previously already announced that he would go on a sort of tour, on an event tour in the run-up of the 2024 elections. And that he would go into what he called demonic strongholds. So he would hold events in places where, according to him, Republicans are allegedly being stopped from winning elections. So he's very much still onto the big lie. He's still peddling that. And the goal of this tour is, as he has now said, to awaken, quote unquote, grassroots saints, especially in swing states, and to kind of take over the GOP. From the base level up in these states. And it basically looks like Walner is moving for, forward with his plan, or at least he ha- he still says that he has big plans. I haven't seen any specific dates of or tour events announced yet, but again, you know, we only have June 2023, so he still has time. In a live stream, he said, and I'm just going to read you this quote, we're going to mobilize before we're done the states are going to be mobilized out of 3,143 counties in the United States. We've identified 17 where demonic strongholds have corrupt control over the voting and over the machinery. We're actually going to focus our precinct strategy on those 17 counters. counties. We're going to go with a revival tent. We're going to go with signs, wonders, miracles, deliverance, Holy Ghost anointing and the fire of God into seven swing states hitting 17 counties. He then uh, published a list of these. And unfortunately, Waller is not the only Dominionist who's been making headlines because, and I'll be honest, I didn't know this group before I saw this story on Right Wing Watch. I've done a bit of digging into them since. We've been hearing similar things from another Dominionist minded group, even though hilariously They call themselves nonpartisan, and I'm guessing that's for tax purposes. It's a political consulting business, business called Kingdom in Politics, which, you know, gives you the first hint of what this is all about. The story was reported by Right Wing Watch. It's led by a guy called Amon Ross, who says he felt called by God to enter politics in 2016 to help his friend Kevin Stitt run for governor of Oklahoma one, remember him? He's the guy who claimed every square inch of Oklahoma for God. I think you guys talked about the video when it went viral a couple of months ago. And now Ammon Ross doesn't call himself a dominionist, but he did say that his, go- uh, that his goal was to put, quote, godly leaders in positions of authority in the political sphere, which I would say is a pretty clear reference to Seven Mountains Dominionism. So they're definitely keeping busy, and I think this is yet another warning shot that we should keep our eyes open as 2024 approaches. What's what's your view on this? What's the inkling that you've gotten from sort of watching these circles from afar?
0: So I think it's so easy to treat this as, oh, what a what a bunch of French people doing French things. So you're telling me there's 17 counties and there's spiritual demonics strongholds and uh that's obviously ridiculous oh my god these people are crazy okay all right i'm gonna go on with my day um if you as Annika said if you don't know who lance wall now is congratulations your life choices are good ones but now you now you do know and so you get to you should know more we covered lance wall now extensively in our charismatic revival fury series with matt taylor and lance wall now is one of the people that not only uh came up with the idea that Trump was anointed by God. If you've heard that before, he's one of the very first people who said that. Uh, he's also somebody who was at the forefront, if not the kind of uh, uh, principal purveyor of the Seven Mountains mandate, the idea that Christians should take over every mountain of society, the economy, politics, culture. So if you've heard of the Seven Mountains, Lance now is behind that as well. So here's my point. This is not something to laugh off. Uh, as we documented in Charismatic Revival Fury, uh, folks from the New Apostolic Reformation, like Lance Walnow are some of the most ardent and influential Trumpists in the Christian world. They are folks who fought tooth and nail for Trump, whether it was symbolically, whether it was politically, whether it was on the ground on January 6th in the Capitol. Um, what I think this portends is the idea that spiritual warfare is happening in certain parts of the country, and they are going to mobilize and and send armies to those places. And if we talk about Tantrums and Target just a minute ago, there are going to be counties and neighborhoods that are overrun by people who are trying to get you to vote and are going to do so by praying in your neighborhoods, having canvassing armies that are holding prayer vigils and speaking in tongues and coming to your door and all of that. And again, you can say ridiculous, so stupid, who would ever, blah, blah, blah. The New Apostolic Reformation is the only segment of American Christianity that is growing. If you look at the Southern Baptists, if you look at the Methodists, they're losing people. You know who's gaining people? Lance Wallnow and his cohorts, Che On and all these others that we talk about in the series. So I just think this is a really good reminder of the fact that 2024 is going to be an, a, a monumental set of elections, we, and it's easy to say that every time, but what I mean by that is just we have a twice impeached man who was hiding documents, classified documents at his golf club and incited an insurrection who's running for president. If he and his Christian Trumpist army are successful, I don't know what the future of American democracy looks like, just like I didn't know in 2020 when he ran against Biden. And so anyway, that's my that's my final thought here. Just this is easy to laugh off, but we shouldn't. And we are definitely going to keep an eye on it. So anything anything to wrap that uh, wrap that up, Annika, or anything that you want to just close with on this this whole idea?
1: Yeah, Yeah, just just one thing, because it kind of stuck with me uh, because the quotes from both Walner and the other guy that we talked about is how central this what they call generational thinking and planning mm-hmm. is to what these people have in mind for the US so this i think this on the one hand of course makes it exhausting to follow all of this to know oh god it's not just 2024 it's sort of for de- they're planning for decades but i think it is important to keep this time, fri- uh, time frame in mind and to really just not underestimate this because yes they might appear as fringe figures, but as you said, they have a really outsized influence.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. And yeah, we'll just keep an eye on it. And I think this mm-hmm. is also just a really, for me, this story is one that kind of reminds me of of why we do this show. And it's to keep an eye on things like this that you're not going to see on CNN. You're not going to see uh, in other outlets and that we absolutely need to keep an eye on because they're having a decisive influence on our democracy. I mean... Uh, Lance Walnau was one of the main spiritual advisors behind Doug Mastriano, who almost won the governorship in PA. He is seemingly everywhere in Pennsylvania politics. He's also everywhere in national politics. He has a kind of tied to, to former President Trump and Paula White Kane. So this is not an isolated thing. And if you think that, that, that this is something to laugh off, go listen to Charismatic Revival. Fury, our series. And you, you if you don't want to listen to the whole thing, listen to the Lance Walno episode and you will get a picture into the millions of people that he, that he has influence over and what it means when he's organizing this kind of campaign. So, all right, let's take a break and come back and talk about uh, one more thing. We'll be right back. All right. So this happened about a month ago, maybe five weeks ago, and I've been thinking about it since then, trying to figure out what I want to say. There's been a lot of folks emailing me and DMing me and asking me what I think. So it's time to talk about it. So in Florida, uh, Ron DeSantis signed a bill that basically would make it very, well, let me just say it this way. It'd make it difficult for immigrants from Cuba, Iran, North Korea, Russia, and Syria, and Venezuela to buy land in Florida. And they would specifically not be able to buy land near military bases it would also specifically target folks from China and make it uh, almost impossible if you are not a citizen or a permanent resident to buy land in China, real estate. And this has also been debated in Texas and Alabama. So it's on the docket in a number of states in the Southeast. And let me just start by uh, reading some testimony from Alice Yee, who represents Asian Texans for Justice, and the Asian American Leadership Council, who talked about this in front of the state legislature in Texas, it would put all the people who look like me, any Asians, into a third-class citizenship, because we would have to prove our current immigration status and where we come from when we want to purchase any land or a house, okay? Uh, another person, an eight-year-old, Jing Chen, asked the Florida House State Affairs Committee during a public hearing in April, did Chinese people do something bad? To Florida. I it's it's a heartbreaking quote from an eight-year-old. And I I think for me that really sums something up about this. Now, I want to be clear, and I, I I've really tried to figure out how to articulate this. I think there are two debates that are legitimate to have. One is uh the ways that real estate is handled in the United States as a whole. We have a lot of corporate entities buying up a lot of private houses, making it difficult for individuals who are just working nine to five jobs to go out and buy a house. So in, in a city near me, Atherton, which is a very uh, uh, rich city in Silicon Valley, 70% of the homes are owned by trusts or LLCs. So I'm totally here. Yes. Okay. And this is, it's an outlier. I mean, it, it it's, this is where Steph Curry lives and other types like that, but it, it proves the point that we have a problem with corporations and others sort of stepping in to take over uh, entire neighborhoods when it comes to private property. So, friends, I'm totally here for a nuanced and complex debate about real estate law in the country. I'm also here for debate about second homes, about people buying homes and not living in them and how we tax those. I'm totally here for that. I, I... I'll give you one example. I went to graduate school in Santa Barbara. It's incredibly hard for a graduate student to find a place to rent in Santa Barbara because there are very few homes there and most of them that are available to rent are Airbnbs because the the people who own them can make much more money AirBNBing them. So, if you want to talk about rentals and laws around like who can buy property and how it works and where we tax it and how we don't, okay, i here to talk about it. The other conversation that's worth having is military and reconnaissance intelligence, like the CIA, has, has Ron DeSantis been in tont- contact with the CIA, with Joe Biden, with the DOJ? Have they talked about threats to national security coming from Chinese nationals? Is there any other operation in China happen- or in Florida happening that is supposedly working to curb the infiltration of? foreign threats by way of folks who are trying to come to the country under certain auspices, whether that is from China, whether that is from Russia, whether that is from anywhere else. Is that happening? Or, as I suspect, is this simply a symbolic law meant to show Ron DeSantis as this guy who's standing up to what he takes to be a foreign threat and foreign invader of Asian people, namely Chinese people? Okay. Okay. So let me give you a, a, few more, uh, a few more details about this, since we are only two days, AAPI month ended like two days ago, so it's a good wrap to this. Under these measures, somebody who moved to the United States from Iran at a young age and grew up in the country would be ineligible to purchase certain property in Texas or Florida without a green card or citizenship. A refugee from North Korea who fled from an oppressive government and resettled in Dallas or Miami would be unable to purchase certain property. Chinese immigrants would also face further scrutiny and discriminatory treatment as they would be required to prove their eligibility to acquire property in these states. So, and this is all from a great piece at Slate, which is in our substack this week. And so subscribe to our substack and you'll see this great reporting in Slate about all of this. David Chen, a nine-year-old U.S. citizen of Chinese heritage, explained that if this bill passes, when I grow up, people may assume houses cannot be sold to Chinese individuals a law that targets only one country can lead to discrimination and hate Jari chen said it this way whether people are chinese japanese korean they'll be judged by their asian face and i don't want my future or anyone else's future to look like that here in america so one of the things we hear often Annika, and this goes back to the whole culture war idea is that politics is downstream from culture that if you have culture uh, and culture wars like Target and LGBTQ persecution, then eventually politicians will be like, okay, I need to get on board with that and make that part of my platform or my policies, right? So politics is downstream from culture. But sometimes I... we need to recognize that politics can set the tone for culture. And I've seen this happen as an Asian American and, and many other people have too, as, as BIPOC folks in this country, When you have an official uh, policy or law that makes it illegal for Chinese folks to buy property, okay, what happens is downstream from that, when there is a realtor walking an Asian family around a suburban neighborhood that is predominantly white in Fort Myers or in Jacksonville or in outside of Dallas, I want to know what happens culturally in those cases. Are there people who approach them and say, are you allowed to buy this house? Where are you from? Show me your passport. Okay. Are there, what happens when those kids go out to ride bikes in front of the house and that family moves in? Do people ask them if they're spies? Do people ask them if they're allowed to be here? Do kids say, go back to your own country? This really sets the stage. Okay. Now there's so much more to say. I'm going to run out of time and I'll probably talk about this more in the future, but one of the things that that one of the te- uh, testimonies pointed out in fl- in Florida is the bill grants legislatures the power to brand any immigrant group as a security threat in the future. So if you think about this kind of law, any group that you want to say cannot buy property, you can just say they cannot buy property in the future. OK, um, this is absolutely terrifying.
1: What do you th- do? You, uh, sorry. I just had a moment where just the, my brain was just buffering, trying to, trying to work through all of this. What do you think? So I'm guessing this law will be challenged or already is being challenged. What is your estimate of, if this even goes up to the Supreme Court, how they will react to this? Because this, to me, again, I'm not a legal scholar, so I might be wrong, but this sounds blatantly unconstitutional. Now, again, the Supreme Court doesn't have to take every case; they can pick and choose. How do you think this current Supreme Court would try to deal with this?
0: I'm glad you asked because I'm very much afraid of that so oh god um so so the Fourteenth Amendment, as the Slate yeah. piece points out, mm-hmm. uh provides equal protection under the law for every mm-hmm. person, so you cannot have laws uh, based on characteristics such as national origin. so the Fourteenth Amendment seemingly would be. Uh, a stopgap to this. There's also the Fair Housing Act, which prohibits discrimination on the basis of national origin in transactions related to housing. However, we've seen this before and we've seen the Supreme Court do this before. So here's my quick and dirty history because we're going to run out of time. In, on, in, in 1913, California, my home state, enacted the alien land law barring Asian immigrants from owning land. Okay. Um This law was restricted even further in the 1920s, and it barred the leasing of land and land ownership by American-born children of Asian immigrants. So if you are a citizen of the United States born here, but your parents are Asian immigrants, those laws said you cannot lease or buy land. Now, a lot of this was in order to curb uh, Asian uh, labor, uh, Chinese labor throughout the state, uh, and Chinese uh, fa- labor's the wrong word, Chinese families and immigrants from from leasing or buying land and also Japanese communities. And many of you don't know this history if you're not Japanese American, but all up and down the 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 California coast, there were deep and expansive Japanese farming communities from Gilroy to L.A. to Marin. And they were making huge incursions on white property owners' play in the market. So a lot of these big white property owners didn't want them around. And so these laws were really helpful for their cause. And there was a Japanese and Korean Exclusion League. There was the Anti-Jap Laundry League. Sorry for the slur there. There were uh, a lot of Hollywood types that were very much in favor of this. Okay, What did President Woodrow Wilson say at the time? In the matter of Chinese and Japanese coolie immigration, i stand for the national policy of exclusion we cannot make a homogeneous population of people who do not blend with the caucasian race now this spread as it does arizona arkansas florida idaho kansas louisiana missouri minnesota montana new mexico oregon texas utah washington and wyoming all followed suit with their own land laws okay now what this did is it led to intense racism now the two were tied i'm not sure if it was a cause Affect situation, but it it deepened the racism that Asian people faced when they were leasing land, when they were farming land that they had bought legally before this this set of laws was passed. I mean, the intense racism uh, was bad. Uh, Let me there were articles written about how the Japanese are unassimilable and they're a foreign horde. And so are the Chinese. Okay, Um, if you go back to the 19th century, mobs ran Chinese communities out of american cities in la and in washington state uh if we fast forward and i know this history is overwhelming friends and i apologize i'll i'll talk more about this in the future if we fast forward to world war 2 uh the bombing of pearl harbor deepened of course anti asian and specifically anti japanese sentiment but what it did was give a reason for all those white farm owners to finally get rid of their uh their asian neighbors okay so when my father signed up, my grandfather, excuse me, signed up for the military during World War II as a Japanese man, he was part of a, a, a translation service called the MIS based in San Francisco. Those guys couldn't leave their quarters because if they went into San Francisco, people tried to hurt them. Okay. That's how this worked back then. Now, after the war, okay, all of the places where uh, uh, Asian folks had gathered, Chinatowns and, ja- and Japantowns. Um, had been, in many cases, overrun. So I live in San Jose. We have one of the three remaining Japan towns in the country. We have a Japan town in San Francisco. We have one in San Jose, and we have one in LA. We used to have dozens of them. We used to have one in Seattle and in Long Beach. We used to have one in almost every West Coast city you can imagine, from Washington to California and so on. Why are they not there anymore? It's because after the war, when Japanese folks went to camp, they uh, were taken away. They were destroyed and rebuilt and leased to other people and blah, blah, and they're no longer there. What's my point? When you pass this kind of law in Florida, Texas, Alabama, you're setting the stage for this kind of racism, this kind of discrimination, this kind of hate. And we've done this before. And you asked about the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court upheld those alien land laws. And guess when, guess when Florida finally repealed theirs? Guess when it was? Two 2000- thousand. 2018. So don't don't tell me this doesn't have a long legacy. Okay. Um, All right. We got to go. Any thoughts? I'm. I apologize for that. Just a really fast history. But any thoughts on that? And then what is your reason for hope today?
1: I mean, I just there's just one thing that popped into my mind when you when you spoke about the 14th Amendment is that Trump also, uh, I think a couple of days ago said that on his first a day in office if he gets elected for a second term he would end the 14th amendment yes. birthright citizenship provision via executive order so you know i think that adds on to everything that you've said and it paints a really really bleak picture should uh should the gop uh, and trump ever you know come to power on a on a in the next general election again or in the one after that
0: yeah Yeah. Um, uh, All right. My reason for hope, if we make a, as we always do, (laughs) a a big, a big turn, is the Minnesota legislature this season has done a really, uh, pretty amazing thing in terms of its, the laws that's passed. So Minnesota, Michigan, these are now progressive strongholds in this country when it comes to state legislatures, and it shows what happens when state legislatures are controlled by, uh, progressives. So, in Minnesota, just this legislative session, they protected reproductive rights. They protected. Uh, uh, contraception and other, other aspects of reproductive rights uh, and health. Uh, they protected uh, trans folks and passed laws along those lines. And they also passed laws protecting uh, workers and employees and giving people paid time off, which is laughable in, in a place like Germany because you assume that's uh, there for everybody. But Minnesota passed that up to 12 weeks off. And it shows you what can happen. And I hope that we start to see Minnesota and Michigan as places where uh, we can learn some things in this country. So, all right, off to you. What's your reason for hope? If you have one. If you don't have one, I understand.
1: No, no, no. I'm even going to be sneaky. I've got two. So I'm uh, I'm actually going to name two. So one is Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker, who will sign a bill that will require schools and libraries to adopt a prohibition on book removals for political reasons, a sort of a uh, a measure against the... Attempts of censorship of books who deal with structural racism, with American history based on facts, and with LGBTQ issues that right wing groups and GOP politicians have tried to get off the shelves of uh, the libraries of uh, public schools. And there was another. There was an uh, an article in the Washington Post about uh, parents, teachers, and students in a deep, deep red Florida county fighting back against attempts of right-wingers to push through their agenda on the school board level. Um, and that, I think, shows that even in places that you know are deep red on the map, uh, these uh, so-called culture war issues do not necessarily have a majority and that we should pay attention to that and not automatically assume uh, that, you know, the country is divided 50-50 because that is just not the case.
0: Yeah, so true. It's a great. I read that article and It's it's a great reminder. All right, friends, we got to go. Sign up for our substack if you want to read all these things we're talking about. Check out our series of the Americans United, One Nation All Beliefs, where we talk a lot about people in deep red areas organizing and fighting back. And uh, we'll be back next week with uh, the weekly roundup and uh, with a great interview and so on. But for now, we'll say, Annika, thanks for being here all the way from Germany. Uh, Thanks, all of you, for listening. We'll catch you next time.
1: Bye. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. This has been an Irreverent Media Podcast.